Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 270. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. Today, I'm bringing you something a little bit different. I have an interview with Michael Rubino, who is the author of the book, The Mold Medic. Michael is going to talk to us about how mold in homes becomes a problem, describe some of the various types of molds that can impact people in homes and why it's important to remove versus kill mold, how mold can impact people with autoimmune issues, and some of the ways health symptoms can indicate that you might be impacted by mold or other environmental toxins. Michael's not a doctor. He is a mold specialist. So his perspective is about the mold and its damage that it does inside homes. And he is trying to be a voice to change this problem by raising awareness and I like the preventative approach he's taking by trying to educate builders and others in the construction industry about practices that can prevent homes from being damaged by mold. I was very interested in learning from him during our conversation, and I increased my knowledge about a hundred times beyond what it was from before I talked with Michael. So I hope you will find this to be interesting too. Let's just dive right in. Also just want to remind you, if you like Therapy Chat, please, if you haven't done so, go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews the show has on iTunes, the more people Apple will show it to. And I want to be sure that this show reaches anybody who wants to find it. So I appreciate your help with that. Also, just a heads up, some new things are coming this summer. I'm not making any official announcements yet, but look for, I'll just say you'll be hearing more from me and more ways that we can connect, hopefully in 
June and July, you'll be you'll be finding out about all the new stuff I have going on. I'm I'm really excited about it. I can't really share the details yet, but really excited to be bringing more content to you starting this summer. Until then, be well. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm really interested to bring you a conversation with Michael Rubino, who is an environmental health expert and the author of the book, Mold Medic. Michael, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Laura, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'm, my wheels are turning in my mind as I think about our discussion because this topic of environmental health in the home and specifically mold in the home is one that comes up in my therapy practice. Like every week people are saying, you know, I think I might have mold or they're having autoimmune symptoms flare up. And, you know, many of my clients have that issue already. So the mold piece has been a little bit of a mystery for me. So I can't wait to really pick your brain about this. But before we start, let's just begin with you telling our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So basically, you know, what I do is uh, I'm an environmental health expert. And what I'm really what I really do for a living is help diagnose people's environments. And um, I do the, the, the actual repair of those environments so that we're improving the air quality. And essentially what's happening is uh, how that came to be really is being in the construction industry or being around the construction industry, I should say, since I'm five years old, my dad being a contractor uh, for over the past 25 years. And um, not only being around construction, but working with him in the summers, watching insurance companies kind of be involved in the process and seeing how kind of they held all the cards of how to restore a home, um, and, and basically in their best interest as opposed to the clients. And I've seen that that struggle between you know my dad trying to do the right thing and the insurance company trying to save a buck. And uh, that kind of that kind of led me down to right after Hurricane Sandy. Basically, you have this big national event. You know, companies come from all over the the country to get a piece of the action. Essentially, they. They have to, you know, find people locally that have never done remediation before, get them on board to do remediation and just start remediating homes. So this natural disaster creates more of a disaster on how we repair homes uh, in that regard. And uh, being around that for the past, I would say that seven or eight years after Hurricane Sandy, I was still being called into homes where people who were being sick, um, looking for remediation options after their house was already, quote unquote, remediated. And I really got to see that there's a, a big problem with the industry itself, complete lack of education on air quality in general, and uh, how it impacts people. And I would say probably three or four years after that, I exclusively just started working for people who are sensitive to their environment or have an environmentally acquired illness. So now I'm, I'm only working with people who are sick that really need me to figure out how they can get better. That's exciting that you're doing this because, you know, I've never, well, certainly I don't have the whole world of experience in this field, but everything I always hear about it is sort of just, um, you know, it doesn't, it seems like the mold remediation companies that I hear about from the work my clients get done in their homes um, and what, you know, when I've bought and sold houses and have someone come in and do mold remediation, it's it's not really focused on the environment of the home and the individuals who live there's health. It's more just like, yeah. let's get that mold out of there. Okay, it's gone. You know, and yeah. it's not like we have to make sure the mold is gone so that you don't get sick or sicker. Right. 
So I'm really glad you're doing what you're doing. It's total. It's, it's, you're totally right. I mean, basically it's, it's really become a form of construction more than it has been a form of science. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it actually is science because you're talking about a, a living microorganism that actively reproduces. If you start to look at mold the, the way you look at a weed, it's so similar. It's so different, but so similar at the same time. Because weeds, they have roots that grow into the, the soil. Mold has roots that grow into building materials. Uh, weeds produce seeds. They get aerosolized. They find other dirt. The dirt gets wet. More weeds grow. If you just chop a weed off at the surface, guess what? The weed grows right back because you didn't remove the roots. And, uh, you know, mold has spores that, that are their seeds. And these spores become particulate. You can go on, you know, CDC, EPA, or even the American Lung Association right now. And if you don't talk about mold, because for some reason, nobody wants to talk about it. But if you talk about uh, particle pollution or particulate matter, and you just Google that, you'll find the American Lung Association will say, well, any particle below a certain threshold, which I think is 10 micrometers, has the capacity of getting into your body through your respiratory tract and then entering the bloodstream because it's so small. Well, guess what? Mold particles are much, much smaller than that. They're about 0.02 microns in size. So we know that mold can pass through the respiratory tract, get right into the bloodstream. And if you are not a person who can detoxify properly, you're going to have a hard time getting rid of that mold once it's into your body. So, there, you know, there's other concerns like bacteria. Uh, there's toxins that, that are produced by mold. There's toxins that are produced by bacteria. You have VOCs, um, you know, radon. There's all these, these other factors of what we consider particle pollution inside of a home. But most of these issues are, are prone to uh, occur when you have water damage. Mm-hmm. Now, what's crazy about that statement is the, the largest ever home study done in 1994 by John Spengler was that 50% of homes have a history of water damage. Crazy. So you have 50% chance that your home is causing indoor air pollution to the point where it could potentially make you sick. It, the things that come to mind when I hear someone talking about mold, and I, I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but for me, one is if you're a home buyer or seller, you know that mold is like kiss of death and you don't want it. <laughs> you right. know, if the house you're going to buy has it, you want it out of there. And if the house you are trying to sell has it, you're like, oh, no, this is going to be so expensive. It's like mold and termites are like those right. those things, which also come with water damage. Um, But the other part is that there's this sort of, I'm not going to quite say it's a controversy, but it's like a conflict between people who think mold and the air quality inside their home is extremely important to your health and people who just think it is a total non-issue. And I think there's definitely more people who think it's a non-issue it seems to me, who are just like, ah, oh, it's fine. Most people aren't really affected by it if you even have mold. But I definitely come from a family of people on my mom's side of the family. My mom is so sensitive to every allergen, every, you know, thing in the air that, you know, I'm aware that some people, they can't go into certain spaces because of how, you know, sick they will get. Just they may not even know what it is that's causing it, but they they react to whatever is in the air. And like I said before, with my clients, you know, people who have chronic lung disease or just other autoimmune disorders and find themselves having these weird symptoms, it's so hard to tease out because it's like it's like that invisible thing. It's in the walls. And unless you see it, you don't know for sure it's there. Totally. 
Yeah, no, and, and you're right. There, there is, there is conflict. You know, I, I study a lot of lawsuits because it's, it's important to kind of tie that together. I mean, I think, unfortunately, just the way America is, you know, really nothing, nothing holds true unless you can win a lawsuit by it. And that, that's almost like what's happened. So when you look at uh, these lawsuits, a lot of plaintiffs and typically plaintiffs are going to be someone who was sick with mold. Mm-hmm. When, when they go to sue, you know, everyone's, every single testimony is the same, you know, Hey, there's mold here. It should probably be removed, but it's like, no one wants to take responsibility for it. And, and what they keep saying is, well, the medical community doesn't agree that, you know, mold can cause these types of illness. So it's like, well, if the medical community doesn't agree that mold can cause these types of illness, that gives you carte blanche to ignore doing any sort of uh, accountability with having mold in your home. And this was a landlord who basically refused to remediate the house. The person got sick. I mean, really sick. The doctor's like, this person was sick. It was definitely the mold. And basically, because because of where we are in technology, you know, based upon like Article 702 of evidence law, you know, there has to be some sort of like really substantial evidence, right? And mm-hmm. while we know most evidence that's considered substantial goes back to the DNA part, right? We know any DNA evidence is like considered substantial. However, there's really not a lot of DNA testing when it comes to mold and mold illness. I mean, you can do epigenetics testing, but you pretty much got to outsource that to Germany right now. So like we're, we're really in the infancy stage here of, of figuring this all out. We still don't know exactly what types of mold produce what types of illness at what rates. So it makes things really difficult. Also, Mold symptoms are very similar to every other symptom. I mean, I've had I've had clients that are like, I, I either have mold or I have COVID. I have no idea. You know, it, it all seems the same to me. And and it's right. It's hard to really tell. So the only way that that people can really tell is by doing some mold testing for the body. You know, mold toxicity testing. And then obviously getting a mold inspection for the house and seeing how that correlates. If you have gliotoxin in your body and you have gliotoxin in your environment, you could pretty much make that inference that you need to remediate the gliotoxin from the home. So, you know, it's it's when you it's say gliotoxin, I'm sorry, yes. I don't have to interrupt. But when I hear glio, I think like glioma, like brain tumors and stuff. Is that what that means? Is that what gliotoxin is? Well, gliotoxin is a mycotoxin and it's spelled G-L-I-O-T-O-X-I-N. It's a sulfur containing mycotoxin. It, it does belong to uh, several species of fungi, but pretty much it's it's main main cause of being in your home is going to be water damage and mold related aspergillus fumigatus is probably one of the most popular molds that's found in the home that does produce gliotoxin so usually if you have gliotoxin in your home it's because you have aspergillus fumigatus somewhere you need to remove the aspergillus which is creating the source of it and then remove the gliotoxin from there wow The depth of mold understanding that I've had before our conversation was black mold is the bad mold. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You you probably like aspergillus fumigatus. Is that the black mold? (laughs) So so stachybotrys is the the coin term toxic black mold. And the reason it's called that is because it is toxigenic um, and it is typically black. But there's another black mold called catomium. So it kind of makes it hard to tell which is which. But catomium is also toxigenic. So that could also be considered toxic black mold. And so, you know, we've, we've gotten confused that toxic, you know, the only uh, toxic black mold is stachybotrys. But really, it also depends on the individual and their immune system. I mean, certain molds are going to be more toxic to, than, to one person than the other person. And that's what makes it so difficult to really dial into how much of this is really necessary. 
And I think that's very individualized. So that's, you know, typically when I'm working with clients, we're trying to figure that out. How, how far, how far into this does this person need to go? Because, you know, typically where we're at today, we're so far behind where we need to be in air quality that it's, it's, it's like playing catch up, right? Mm. Think about, think about this where it's 2021, you buy a home, let's say it was built in 1970. You got 50 years of history of that home. It's probably had the, 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 uh, the statistic is once out of every 10 years, you're going to have a water event. So with that statistic, you say it's got five water events that happened to that home. And we know that because of the industry, the way, the way it stands, any water damage event that's happened to that home most likely was not handled properly. So there's got to be residual bacteria, mold, uh, and potentially toxins, et cetera. So we're, we're starting behind the eight ball here. If we start building homes better today, having better policies in place to restore homes, you know, 50 years from now, we'll kind of get to that point where remediation isn't so expensive. But right now, unfortunately, because of the lack of education across the probably the entire globe, we're just really behind the eight ball where we need to be. Yeah, you are really getting me thinking because I grew up in living in southeastern Virginia, right on the Chesapeake Bay. I mean, our house wasn't on the water, but we were surrounded by rivers and the bay and the ocean which if you are from like New Jersey, New York, that's not much different, really. Totally. And here in Maryland, where I live, we're still on the Chesapeake Bay. There's rivers. There's two rivers on either side of like where I used to live and where I live now. But where I grew up, our home, we had a basement. It was an unfinished basement. And our washing machine was down there and then just like storage. And every time it rained, and it's the same where my mom lives in down there. Every time it rained, it the basement would flood, say, three to four, five feet, not inches. Oh, wow. wow. And I mean, you could be up to your waist in water if you walked down there to like get your clothes out of the dryer. And um, when you say it wasn't taken care of properly, it wasn't taken care of at all. At all. There was literally nothing that was done. It would just that would be what would happen every time it would rain and it would just be it would drain out by itself. And then, you know, just yeah. happen again next time it rained. So thinking about all these people who live near water or places where it's low water table or high water table that, you know, there's a lot of groundwater that comes into the house. And our house I grew up in now is probably, you know, 110 years old. So we don't live there now. But I mean, how many times <laughs> did that basement fill with water and never was in any way addressed? It's just like, whoa, mind blowing. That's, uh, you know, especially if, if you don't know, right? If you don't know that that can impact your health. Yeah. Uh, and you just look at it as like, hey, I got some water in my basement. You know, it's you don't know any better. I mean. Yep. We still today, people don't know better. You know, um, I, I think probably more aware as a society today than we were 10 years ago that, you know, mold is, is probably something that should be removed if you have it. But I mean, we're, we're still not there. I mean, how about another statistic for you? Do, do you know that you should remove mold, not try to kill it? No, I would think that if you killed it, which is what I thought remediation was killing it and it might still look like it's there, but it's no longer lived. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a big misunderstanding that we have again is, is 
all these products get developed around killing it instead of removing it. And why would you want to kill it? Uh, why would you want to remove it and not kill it? Well, because killing it doesn't actually handle the pollution part of it, right? It's still, all it does is become brittle, break down into smaller particles and still stay inside your environment. But again, any particle that becomes into the, that becomes aerosolized, it's going to get into your respiratory tract and it's going to cause problems because particles are not meant to be inside the lungs. But the second thing is we still don't, we have no idea how dead mold impacts a person as much as a live mold. Although if you do go on the EPA's website, it does say you shouldn't kill mold. You should remove it because dead mold still can also impact someone who's sensitive to mold. So it's very interesting. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you don't want to kill it. You want to remove it. And actually, I think where, where you hear these horror stories of remediation, you know, gone wrong or people come in and they do remediation and they still don't feel better. Maybe even they feel worse. It's for that very principle. They came in, they tried to kill it. They thought they did a good job. Unfortunately, they left all this, all this particulate there, which, uh, you know, becomes aerosolized and uh, gets into the body, especially the spore. You can't really kill a spore. It's not alive. It's, it's, it's a seed, right? So really all, all you can do is remove the outer protein layer on it. Maybe it's not as effective at growing anymore, but we still don't know how that, how that impacts the person, how, when it gets, enters the body. And it's because nobody's doing any research on it. So, you know, of course we don't know about it, but we know, we know that it's the best way to do it, especially for someone who's sensitive is to fully remove it clean up the environment, remove the, the, the particles that are produced when mold is there. And that's how you're going to actually improve the environment so that the person feels better. Wow. Okay. So I want to ask you before we go any further, how common is it for people to be sensitive to mold? It's roughly about 30% of the population. What, what you got to do is you got to look at all the different classifications. You have, you know, autoimmune disease, autoimmune disorder, immunocompromised individuals. You have people with Lyme are typically sensitive to mold. Uh, you have pans and pandas. And then you have Sears, which is chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And uh, you look at all those together, I'm sure I'm missing one or two. But when you when you calculate all those together based upon the number of people that are there, it's uh, 80 to 100 million people, roughly. That's... Wow. It's about a third. It's about a third of third of our population. So it's uh, you know it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. A lot more people than than we would have ever imagined. I think in 1997 we estimated that it was only one to two percent of the population. So to to we're we're obviously either getting worse as a, as a culture or we're just becoming more aware. And I think it's probably more of the becoming more aware of it. Yeah, that makes sense. And, but, you know, I also wonder, and this sort of ties into something you and I were talking about before we started recording. I wonder how much the change in the way home building has, has been done. Like, you know how in the eighties and nineties, they started like making homes like fast, just like throwing them up, you know? I wonder if that has anything to do with the new, the, the increase, you know? Well, it's funny that you bring that up because <laughs> I have a very, very interesting personal story to tell you. So to, I, I happen to be building uh, this house in Tampa, Florida, where I, my family and I have moved down here recently this summer from New Jersey. And uh, we're kind of expanding things in the Southeast region, United States. And it just made sense to be here with everything going on in the world. And uh, we're, we're building this house with a builder it happens to be a very reputable builder. Okay. And uh, it's this beautiful neighborhood. My wife was absolutely head over heels in love with. And I, I, I you know, I, I've been researching construction and, and mold. And I was like, you know, this is going to be a problem. But 
I sat down with them. We were buying the house. I said, look, this is what I do for a living. I'd love to help advise and, and be involved in the process. And of course, it was all about, yes, of course, sir. You know, just they wanted to get that that initial money up front. The sales team's all like, we'll do anything, right? Yeah. They start building the house. And, uh, you know, I, I told the construction manager, I said, look, when you get the lumber delivered, you want to deliver it and have the lumber off elevated off the ground. Like, don't just deliver the lumber. I know it comes on a tractor trailer and it's hard, but you know, build some cribbing for it. Keep it like six, six inches to a foot off the ground so that when it rains, it's not getting saturated by laying in the mud. I was like, you know, do that, tarp over it, you'll be fine. Because, you know, with COVID and everything, everything's taking longer. The lumber's more expensive. That's all delayed. So I knew it was going to sit there for a while before they had all the pieces they needed to start building. Well, sure enough, the lumber gets delivered in the middle of the process and it goes right in the mud. They didn't just, they basically patronized me and didn't do anything that I recommended. And, uh, you know, I called the guy and said, look, I'm not going to be a jerk, but I'm telling you, this is going to be a problem. So I just, I just want to forewarn you, we're probably going to have to remediate this house because it's, it's, it's going to have no, like, no way. If anything, it'll be lumberyard mold, which I love that term. It's like the best term in the world. Um, <laughs> just lumberyard oh, mold. Just lumberyard mold. Like, like, like as if that's an actual like scientific term, right? <laughs> so, so uh, I'm like, okay, we'll just cross that bridge when we get there. Well, they had a, they also put down a vapor barrier. They didn't do that properly. So I had to document that and, and explain how they messed that up. And we were going to have to make some changes on the flooring decisions because of it. And so I was that problem client for sure. But, <laughs> but in defense, it's like, guys, we're just talking about making sure we don't have a poor environment when we move in. I, mean, I have two little kids. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. I don't need my kids getting sick. We have no idea if they're sensitive to mold because we've always lived in a, mold, a good, a mold-free environment based upon my background, right? So right, and does shouldn't this builder want well, the home so you, to be safe for the people who right, buy it? Right. I, well, the story gets pretty crazy. So I point out all this stuff, and I'm like, "This is all you needed to do to do better, right? It's not that hard." And I was like, "Look, you could. I know you have subs that do this. You require your subs do this, or you don't use them. I mean, it's that simple. You have all the leverage. You give them hundreds of homes, they're going to do whatever you ask. It's not that hard to be better." And they said, "Well, well, Mike, everyone could always uh, improve their business a little bit, don't you think?" And I was like, "Well." My business isn't building homes. They built 4,000 homes in this development. My business isn't building 4,000 homes in a development that's going to families. Okay. So, you know, I, you know, I this got, isn't I just like a, right. if you get to it or it would be nice. This is yeah. like a basic need. Yeah. Right. So I get very passionate and worked up. And, uh, so, so they end up deciding they're going to treat the house that they don't want a PR nightmare. And, you know, we're going to treat the house and we appreciate that you chose us to build your house. We want to do the right thing. Okay, great. So they treat the house. We have a scheduled meeting to go in there and evaluate the treatment, make sure they did it right. Now, I was supposed to be advising that we're testing the house to identify if the mold was removed. And I was advising them, you know, if it wasn't removed, I was, my next step was to advise them, hey guys, this is all you got to do. Like, I'm, I, I do want to move into this house, but also I want you to do it right. And I'm hoping that you'll take this opportunity to learn a few things and maybe change the way you do some things. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. Because mm -hmm. when the test came back, there was 1.5 million spores of aspergillus. We just talked about how aspergillus produces a, a mycotoxin. So I, I brought, and there was also 800 spores of catomium, which 800, 1.5 million, you would, you know, it's clearly that's a lot less. But 
because ketomium is a toxigenic, heavy water damage mold that's toxigenic, you don't want to have even one spore of that. So I'm like, guys, we got to, the kitchen needs to be redone because there's 800 spores of ketomium and the second floor attic needs to be redone because you have 1.5 million spores of aspergillus. There, so we were supposed to have a meeting on Monday at nine o'clock to go over it, to just you know, put this to bed and move forward, hoping they would finally listen to my advice and just let's get this show on the road. I'm supposed to move in in two months. I get a letter today, Michael, we've decided that we're going to terminate your, your agreement to build this house for you. And, you know, we uh, basically, we build great homes and we're not going to argue with you any further. <laughs> like that was like a, the, the shortest email in the world. I called the gentleman back trying to, you know, trying to level out with him. And the conversation did not go well at all because at this point I can only imagine that they just don't feel like fixing the problem. They're going to cover it up and sell it to, to somebody else, which I called them out on. And he said, well, this is how we build all of our homes. You know, we're not going to start changing the way we build homes for one person. So that's, this is the way they're taking it. The stance is people are buying my moldy homes, so I'm not going to change it. And that's the problem we have here in America. Cause I can guarantee you if it's happening here in Florida, it's going to happen anywhere across the country. And, and I know Florida, you're thinking, well, of course, Florida it rains a lot and it's humid. Well, we're in the middle of the winter. Right. And although winter is not 30 degrees, it's not humid. So there was no reason to have mold the time of year that they built this house, except for the fact that they, they let it sit in the mud where mold is part of our ecosystem and didn't employ basic technology to help solve that problem and weren't willing to listen. Yeah, uh, I have a lot of work to do on, on helping change the landscape. And construction is, is definitely something that I'm, I'm really honing in on because I mean, imagine you buy a brand new home, you're thinking, no way it's going to have mold. It's brand new, or you're building a new home, paying a builder a lot of money to build a new home, thinking, no way it'll have mold, and it has mold. What do you do then? Yeah, that's what a disheartening story. I'm so sorry. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's okay. I got my attorney on it. We'll, uh, we'll figure things out, but they want me to sign a non-disclosure to get my money back, and I will refuse to sign a non-disclosure because this story needs to be shouted from the rooftops as an example of how we need to change our building practices here in America. And I will lose money on this house to share my story so it doesn't impact another person. Well, you know, it's like you said, the state of America, how we litigate everything. It's like, I think that that's how when you can't get no one will listen to you or take you seriously. It's like your only recourse, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, totally. you know, maybe your case will go to the Supreme Court and all of a sudden mold <laughs> and air <laughs> quality a, in the home be will become, yeah, like really important. Like be focused on the way it should be, because as you're talking, it's very compelling. This isn't this is a big deal. Well, you know, and, and especially if, if you walk in my shoes and you go to people's houses and they're, you know, bedridden or the kids are sick. I mean, little kids. And, you know, the stories that I could tell you, the people's lives that I've seen, it, it's this doesn't sit well with me, you know, and, and it's just part of the problem. And we've we've been ignoring air quality for so long. It, it's it's time. It's time we look at it. I mean, the average person takes 20,000 breaths per day. Okay, You're consuming more air than you are food or water, without a doubt. So if air quality is not good. It's the most opportunity to make someone sick. And it's the least talked about thing. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. But like you said, well, I'm a social worker. So in social work school, there was one, there's a lot I learned, but one of the things that really stands out is this idea of when there's a policy that doesn't make sense or a lack of a policy where there's a need for one, you know, ask yourself who benefits. And so if you take, trace it back, like who's benefiting, the builder is benefiting by taking the shortcut of not having to do everything that needs to happen. And the insurance companies 
are benefiting by having to pay out less money when, yep. you know, somebody has a claim for things like Hurricane Sandy. But I just imagine, you know, what you said, like working with families who were impacted by Hurricane Sandy. And of course, that could be true for anyone who experiences a natural disaster or a fire or anything where their house gets water damage that, you know, they're already suffering from that. And then, you know, they get sick, too. Like, that's just messed up. That's not right. We're uh, we're benefiting fifty thousand companies instead of a hundred million Americans. That's that's what we have to look at, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know what? I think we need to hold these fifty thousand companies out there accountable for what they're doing because that's how we get the change, right? That we need. Right yeah. now, we're not holding them accountable. I mean, all that that contractor has mold in my house that I was. It's not my house anymore, but it was going to be my house that I was supposed to buy and, and close on in two months. And instead of doing the right thing and just making making the the steps needed to be taken to fix the problem, it, it was just easier for them to terminate me as a contractor because they know someone else will buy the house. I mean, they're like eighty percent sold out of this development in a couple of years, so that they, they know somebody's going to come along and buy this house. That to me is like disgusting. I mean, and and you know, it it, it maybe if I was I guess, uh, blind to this, if I didn't see what I see on a daily basis, you know, maybe I would just be like, okay, I get it. I'm a problem. But in looking at this, it's like, when you see this, you, you, you get this big responsibility, like that you have to make people aware of things. And so really I wasn't trying to be as big of a pain to the builders. I was trying to educate them. I, you know, for me, if, if I'm doing something wrong and someone has a better way of doing something and is like, hey, you can help more people by doing X, Y, and Z, I'm all ears, mm-hmm. you know? And and maybe that's just me, but I think that's the way every business owner should be, right? We're, we're, we're there to provide a service to help people. Whether you're selling pizzas, selling better air quality, selling cars, people are buying your product because it makes them smile. It's enjoyable. It provides better quality of life. And to me, I was I was really taken back by the fact that this this builder just decided to take the uh, easy way out and just terminate the contract. And you know, you know what they offered me a thousand dollars for my troubles. Ah, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I laugh because that's absurd. <laughs> it's absurd. Been six months sitting here in an apartment watching the house being built. You know, and uh, yeah, it's it's rough. So no, I you know they, I don't want their thousand dollars. What I want is I want to I want to share my story and have other people become aware. Because guess what? If we can get a coalition of people becoming aware, then what happens? They make a demand, right? I want a mold-free home. If you can't build it, I'm not buying a house from you. And if nobody's buying a house from them, that changes the story. Right now, they can get away with it because people will buy a house from it because they don't know any better. Right. And the people who are the ones who would stand up are all sick. Right. (laughs) And they don't have the energy to fight this or they don't even know how to begin. So I'm glad you're raising awareness about this and really changing it with people, you know, one-on-one and family by family. But I think also it would be great for people who are listening to maybe hear from you, like, how would someone know? What are some signs that they might have some some toxin, environmental toxin in their home, even if it's not mold? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean... Obviously, it's going to start. You're probably the first indicator you're going to have uh, from a body perspective is you're going to start to feel different. Chronic fatigue, headaches, you know, kind of like this onset of a cold that just never goes away. 
you're going to feel tired, lethargic. In extreme cases, you can be bedridden. I have a client right now who's, who's, uh, was a healthy 30 something year old mom who's now on a feeding tube. I mean, there, it, it can, it can get really crazy. Um, but I'd say like, if you, if you just start feeling different after moving into a new place or, uh, you know, there was a leak from your tub and, you know, you thought it was fine, but it really wasn't. You had, you know, floods in the area. I mean, Anything that that kind of jives with, hey, there was some water episodes here. I moved into a new place and I'm not feeling the way I normally feel. I think that's a good indicator that, hey, you should probably check the environment. Inside the environment, signs, obviously, if you see signs of water damage, you know, if something something came into the house, usually on the drywall, you'll have like this brown circular stain. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is that's the water pooling and pulling, you know, these rust or other sediment through the water into the drywall. It creates this, this brown circle. If you're in a basement, you know, any like efflorescence on the walls is indicative that there's some moisture coming through. Now's the time to solve it before it gets worse. What's efflorescence? So if, if you've ever, if you, if you have a basement, if you go in your basement, usually it's like, it's, it's some sort of cement wall, usually cinder block. Efflorescence is when it like, you get that like white crystallization that appears on the oh, cement. Yeah. And like, or, or if you have, if you have a painted basement, uh, you'll, it'll like bubble up through the paint. That's that. It's the, the buildup of moisture. So you have this chemical reaction with the concrete. It provides this efflorescence that kind of pulls through. When you have that, you know that there's moisture in the environment. All that's easily solvable. A dehumidification in the basement is going to go a, a long way at really decreasing the opportunity for mold to grow. There's another really cool trick that you're going to try it as soon as I talk about it. If you go to any toilet you have in the house and you you know the the toilet tank that has there's a lid on there, if you mm -hmm. pop open the lid, flip it over, look at the underside of the lid and look inside the tank. If you see black or green or anything that looks like potentially mold, that could be that could tell you a story that there's mold somewhere in the house. And what's happening is as, as it produces spores that get aerosolized, they do circulate around the house and any any spot of water they find, they'll start to grow. So that can tell you that you have mold somewhere else. And uh, it's a good time to get a mold inspection to check that out. Okay, that's helpful. So do you think that I guess what I see, what I hear from my clients is like, They've had Lyme. Now they have, they suspect mold and now they have like Epstein-Barr or chronic fatigue syndrome or I don't know, fibromyalgia. I mean, I'm thinking more like Epstein-Barr, like shingles and these things that sort of lay dormant in your body and then get activated. Right. Causing symptoms. Do you think that it's caused by the mold or their immune system can't fight it because they already have autoimmune disorders or what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So what I think is I think basically it, the mold just overloads the body, right? Yeah. Now, there's, there's what's called the uh, HLA-DR gene, HLA-DR. This gene, having this gene, having being a carrier for this gene, sorry, using the right terminology here, basically makes it so that you don't methylate and don't detoxify properly. Now, if you're already fighting other things and you have mold that's getting into your system and you're not detoxifying that, it's just going to overload to the point where you, you, you start, I mean, anything can happen at that point. And, uh, you know, we, we look at like, like, like things like, uh, these diagnoses that we have, you know, we look at these things and we say, this is what I have based upon these symptoms. A lot of these things are very, very common with my clients as well. I have a client who has uh, reactivated Epstein-Barr virus, which she didn't have. Uh, first off, she's, I think in her forties. So like she was 
the doctor even was very confused as, at the someone her age, how she has all these medical complications for things that she was not born with. And um, it was at, shortly after she's been in this house for like 10 years, had no idea it was making her sick. And uh, she's got, you know, reactivated uh, Epstein-Barr. She had um, TE, what is it, thrombo... I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the, uh, the medical name of this. She said TE also, which is interesting is she tested positive for TE when she moved out of the house and retested, she was negative. And the doctor was like totally blown away by how that's even possible. So kind of mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, is again, we don't know enough about what's happening, but for sure what we're thinking is mold is triggering these things. And it's making it difficult for the person to heal because they're not detoxifying. It's overloading their immune system. And basically, when they get away, they start their symptoms start to improve. They start to feel better. And these diagnoses start to fall off. So I would say, you know, without knowing for, for 100% certainty what exactly is occurring, I, I can say that there's a lot of correlation between mold and people are feeling better when they're no longer in that environment. Okay. So do you feel that the solution for people is just to get the mold out of the environment or get themselves out of the environment that the mold is in? Yeah, I'd say step one is get out of there. You know, and that that may be the hardest thing in the world if it's your house, right? How do you just, how does one just leave their house? But get out of there temporarily, usually over a period of two to four weeks of not being in that house. If you're in a place that's, that's more conducive, uh, that doesn't have a history of water damage, that looks relatively clean, and you start to feel better, you're going to notice that obviously this mold is a problem in, in the actual house. And at that point, I would I would go all in on figuring that out and remediating it. You know, that's going to take getting a mold inspection done, uh, getting a plan put together, seeing what's there, figuring out what it's going to cost, because not all, not all remediation products will be the same, right? Because it could be more water damage in one house, house than another. And, um, you know, and kind of identifying that and, and making sure it makes sense financially to move forward with that and making that your safe space. Now, on the flip side of things, you know, people ask me all the time, like, should I just move? Like, you could. You could disclose that you have a mold and, and sell it to somebody who's willing to fix it up um, and move. However, there's no guarantee that the, the, ho- the next house you're going to find is going to be that much better, right? Because we're talking about going back to that statistic of, yeah, water damage once every 10 years, 50% of homes having water damage. It's just, it's almost this unavoidable problem. And now you have new construction is a problem. So it's just, uh, how do you, you can't run away from it. You can't ignore it. So you almost have to kind of pick and choose your battles. If you are sensitive to mold, it's like, all right, I'm going to find a house. I'm going to make the investment. I'm going to make it the perfect mold free home, uh, improve the conditions so that the opportunity for mold to grow in the home is just not there. And, uh, that's, that's what you do. That's what I do for my clients, you know, that we kind of diagnose that, figure out what it's going to cost to not only remove the mold, but improve the space so that you don't have to remediate again and uh, kind of go from there. And um, that's that's where we're seeing, you know, people getting better and making these choices and really building these safe havens for themselves. Michael, do you have a suggestion for people as to how they can find someone to do the mold remediation who does it the way you do where, and I know like certainly they could work with you, but you can't possibly be working with everyone in the whole country or the world. So um, is there a way to find who does it the right way? Is there something to look for or a certification that gives that message or something? I wish it was that easy. Um. Um, 
we're, we're working on creating a certification um, because that, that's what it is. I mean, the, the ideology of mold remediation is so far into construction and not, not enough in the science. That's a problem. And we talked about those particles, right, and, and how mold remediation can affect someone if it's not done right. You know, basically, would, and there are, I don't want to say that there's no, I'm the only person in the world. There's other companies out there. I think the, the main thing you want to ask is, you know, how do you handle the contamination for mold, right? And, and there's, there's MSQPCR testing technology to actually test the dust in the home and see how much contamination is there. So if a company is confident in, in being able to remove the particles after they remove the sources and they're willing to guarantee it um, to a certain degree, then I think that company is in your wheelhouse. Finding out if a company removes toxins produced by mold is an, or, or bacteria because bacteria could be present too in water damage events. That's another thing to, to strongly consider. Yeah. Making sure that the, the mold company also can remove bacteria, understands how to do that, and potentially the toxins from bacteria. And what's interesting is when, when you find a, a good mold inspection company, is like the first thing you really need to find. Hey, do you test for bacteria? Hey, do you test for mold toxins? You know, bacterial toxins, all that. Because when they give you a report and there's, they say there's bacteria present, the bacteria needs to be removed, you then give that to a mold company. If the mold company looks at that and says, okay, I can handle this no problem, you want to make sure that's in their contract. Because a lot of our, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of mold guys out there, especially if they've been doing it for a while, they're kind of arrogant. You know, I've been doing this forever. I know best. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's all covered. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm handling everything because they just, they, they just have done it, been programmed to do it a certain way this whole time. And they think that by ripping out the drywall, they've done it, right? So you really want to like make sure that it's in their contract, that they're going to handle everything that's on the mold report. And you really want to scrutinize that and ask questions that, that, that really gauge your understanding. It's like when you go to a doctor and you're, you know, you're like, Hey, I got this diagnosis. You ask them questions. How sure are you that I have this diagnosis and how sure are you these treatments going to work? So you want to ask that that same question you'd ask your doctor. How sure are you that you can remove all of this? How sure you know sure are you that this is going to work, right? And do you guarantee it? And uh, you know you'll weed a lot of people out that way because usually when you when you say to somebody I'm sensitive to a mold guy, they run the other way. They run for the hills. Like, exactly. Oh, sensitive to me means problem. Not exactly. Like, like, oh, like this customer's never going to be happy. Yeah. Right. Like the way the builder looked at me, like problem. Right. Right. So we're we're not problems. We just need someone who's more skilled than the average person that's out there. And, and it's okay. You know, it, it, mold remediation really needs an overhaul, just like construction does. And I promise you I'm working on it. And that's what the book is, is really designed to get the conversation going. And uh, I got the uh, certification process in the works to follow up with that. And uh, I think probably book number two is going to talk about the construction industry a bit. <laughs> mm -mm. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> so if people, I'm sure that people who are listening are going to be very interested in your book. I'm just wondering, do you give this kind of like instructional approach to in the book? Like, here's what to oh, do. Yeah. Here's yeah. where to go and how to know and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I do it, you know, I, it's 150 pages or so. And, uh, I basically outline for a person who is sensitive that thinks they have mold and what kind of, what to do from there. The first chapter talks about how the, how, you know, all mold remediation is not the same. And then it kind of dives into like, all right, I need to find a good mold inspector. What are the questions I should ask to vet this mold inspector? How do I find a good mold inspector? I need to find a good mold remediator again. How do I do that? I, I gave you guys in this podcast today some basic general concepts, but I actually outlined specific questions you should ask. You could also go on, on our website, allamericanrestoration.com. 
And I have a ton of free resources out there. Like you said, we know we're not going to fix this one house at a time. It may not make sense to work with me directly, you know? So we want to give people the resources they need to make sure that they can heal things are done right. So we, we have, you know, vetting questions for contractors on there, roadmaps of, you know, what you should be looking for in their contracts, things like that. But how to find a, you know, a, a, the right person to really facilitate the team is so important. Well, this is awesome. And and I'll put your website on the show notes and your book, Mold Medic. Is it available through your website or where can people find yes. it? Yes. So they can go on that website or there's another another uh, website called themoldmedic.com. And uh, you can go on there. The book's available on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. But if you want to go on the, the, the book's website to learn a little bit more about it, maybe you're not fully bought into it yet. And you want to just kind of check out what, what the book has to offer before you decide to buy it. Go for it. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at the mold medic as well. And, uh, yeah, I talk a lot about, I, I post a lot on there, like a fit, a situations that I run into. There's a lot of stuff about my house on there, which are my RIP, my, my house that was, um, that, 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 you know, I kind of talk about why this is wrong and what, you know, <laughs> what should have been done. So I try to be as educational as possible. Um, I really, my passion is to, to help others and to teach and, and to really, I mean, the big picture here is we need to, we need to, you know, advance a couple industries here to really improve our air quality. Well, I'm so grateful for what you're doing. I know it's helping many people and by, you know, since our audience is mostly therapists, you know, if you think about the reach with all these therapists who are hearing their clients talking about mold and they can, you know, understand more about it because of you being here. I'm really grateful. So thank you so much for oh, being my guest. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to help, you know, create this awareness. And, and thank you so much for uh, registering with the need to talk about this. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.